Welcome to the next episode of American Filmmaker. On this episode, we're going to talk to Melissa B. Miller, a writer, a director, and a producer. We're going to talk to Melissa about the creative process and about making her first feature film, which had a theatrical release and had a wonderful, wonderful cast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the time. And so I guess my first question, Melissa, is can you tell me a little bit about growing up and when you um, first noticed that you might be creative? You know, I think that, you know, I I was a dancer growing up, so it must have, that must have been my outlet, I think, early on. And I think, you know, like any parents, they throw a million activities at your child and see what sticks. And so I think we started to realize that I was actually, like, tapping my feet and, like, pointing to the beat, which was, like, a lot more than a lot of the other two-year-olds were doing, you know? Like, I was actually the only one paying attention, like, during the recitals and, like, knew what I was doing and everyone else was, like, you know, looking around or leaving or peeing or whatever. So I think maybe that's when my mom was like, oh, she actually, like, knows what she's doing. Um, but I have a very vivid memory of, I used to love like hip hop and like jazz dance and all that stuff. And I really didn't love ballet very much. And I remember, but it's like kind of a necessary evil if you want to be a dancer because it, you know, gives you your core and blah, blah, blah. But I remember being in a dance class and I I, I don't know, I, I just, I, I think, I don't know what happened to me, but I got very emotional and I like punched the wall and I was like, all right, that, you know, I, I have some feelings in here that need to be expressed. Uh, you know, and I was in my, like, leotard and tights. And I don't know, I just found that to be, like, a very funny, interesting moment. Um, I was, like, an angry ballet dancer, I guess you could say. So I like that. Uh, <laughs> a- angry ballet. One of my friends has three daughters, and they're all in the dance classes. Uh, and so I, sometimes I get to see the uh, outfits. And the <laughs> Oh my god, they're hysterical. They're really just like too much. Well, and I think it's important too to be able to express yourself as a kid. I know it seems weird, but like I guess we had outside in the Midwest, and then um, my mom made me play Suzuki, which was a wonderful container. But I mean, it's not like I I loved it, you know. Whereas I think with with dance, it's really interesting because you're exploring, learning how to kind of operate this this new vehicle. Right. 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 Um, so then from dance, when did you maybe start to move more towards the kind of film? Did you make films as a kid or was it something that you noticed in, in high school? Yeah. I mean, I think it was really, you know, my dad was an, still is like an avid photographer and, you know, he had a dark room in our house growing up, which I think was like really, really cool. I actually like, for some reason it's come up in conversation a lot now and I just, I realized now how cool that is that my dad used to like develop photographs like in our house you know and I feel like I used to spend a lot of time with him doing that and then he was also the guy who like always had like the latest kind of tech stuff before it got popular like you know he had like a um a you know a a Wall Street phone you know before like (laughs) like came in like a briefcase you know but um But he, you know, he always had video cameras and there's like so much Super 8 footage of me as a child. And so I think I was around it all the time. And in high school, you know, 
we always like did these little movie projects and stuff, but I don't think I like caught the bug. Like I wasn't like the type of kid who was like always recording and always behind the camera. I guess I was more my dad, but maybe it's sort of like through osmosis made itself to me, but I was always writing and I wish I like had some of those things that I wrote like back in the day, but cause they're probably hysterical looking back on it now, but I do feel like I was always writing and, and always thinking of that. That's the way like my brain worked. Um, and then I just loved movies. I mean, I just, lo- I still love going to the movies. It's still my, like my favorite thing to do. So, you know, I think early on, I just loved the idea of cinema and like being able to tell stories that way. I think that this is a really important lesson, especially for the next generation of creators. Everybody who's out there who's 15, 16, 20 years old, uh, I'm meeting a lot of these young people, and they love to read, actually. And there's this whole writing movement that's happening with them. But what's really interesting is they're really fascinated with the creative process. So as yeah. as elders or people who've kind of come, <laughs> come before, all of our experiences really help help them understand you know how to create and how to be consistent so i guess but it's also interesting too though because my son is six and like we've already shot like two short films with him and he loves writing and he writes these books and it's, it's kind of like amazing to see you know and and you know you obviously want to like nurture it as well oh that's really fun that's yeah. really fun it's amazing it's like so much fun does he like the acting or is he kind of like uh, what's that French filmmaker, The 400 Blows? Is he like an all-natural oh, yeah. no, Truffaut, or does he like Pam He's, he's in them, but he's also, you know, we let him be the director, and, you know, he'll, when we're editing, you know, he'll sometimes help choose the shots, or he'll help choose the music, and, you know, he always comes up with these, like, you know, visual effects that he wants to do, and Russell has to, like, quickly figure out how to do them, and, you know. That's really beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, and just to create that that level of of love around the space, um, yeah, I think that's really important for kids, and then also maybe even for you guys, you just the family time, you know, family yeah. family time. No, it's a important. great it's a great activity, exactly. Returning to your journey, when did you first start? I guess, you know, actively pursuing the filmmaking and and the process of filmmaking. What was there a moment or like even un unsurety or like right. a, a level of being unsure because i don't think is un- unsurety unsure. a word i'm pretty sure unsurety <laughs> is not a word <laughs> but i i think i knew what you meant um no i mean i you know so i, I as i mentioned i was a dancer and then i i came to new york and i i realized that there was you know i i was a, a big fish in a small pond and when i came here i realized that there was 10 year olds that were way better than me and I was never going to make it as a dancer. And so I ended up getting a job at my first job out of college was at three arts entertainment. And, you know, they repped the UCB and, and Dave Chappelle and Dave Attell and just all these like incredible, like Todd Berry. I just, I, I didn't realize then how lucky I was to be around all these talented people um you know and I sort of started learning about film through the studio system I worked at New Line Cinema for a little bit and I again it's just I I I think I gravitated toward the the magic of filmmaking but you know I liked the celebrity part of it I liked the actor part of it I was just drawn to all of it you know and then I just got the opportunity to intern it was oh my god it was I interned on a tv pilot 
another person that we're not supposed to talk about, Woody Allen. But it was it was a TV show called Last Laugh at Pips. And I remember Woody Allen made like he was like did like a walk on of it or something. He was like friends with the the person who created the show. But it was my absolute favorite to this day experience on set. I had I had no responsibility. I just got to sit on set all day. And it was just incredible. And I have like amazing memories of it. But I think that was the first time I just started to love the adrenaline and the magic of being on set. I mean, you know, it can be boring and horrible sometimes too. But just the idea that all these people are coming together for one reason has always just been such an interesting concept to me. And everybody, and I love the idea that, like, you know, even now when I, I work a lot, you know, below the line as well, and people call me and they're looking for, you know, an art department person, and I don't interview, they don't ask me what I know, they just assume because of my experience I know what I'm doing, and you just start a new job, and no one tells you how to do it, you've already done it, and you just do it again, and so I think that's that's a really interesting part of filmmaking, is that everybody comes together and you hire people, and they come on and you just do it. You know, yeah, and I feel like that creative energy, when done right, is really powerful and is really a great thing that is used to help capture the lightning in the bottle that becomes I mean, the story. It's, it's always, yeah, it's always a major fluke when something. Well, first of all, it's it's nearly impossible to get a movie made, and then getting a movie made that that people seem to like is is another thing in of itself. Like I, I still like I always say is getting you know getting my first movie made it's like a fluke and and you just you it's almost the second one is almost harder because it some strange things came together to make the first one and then you almost are like in the system now trying to make your second one i think it's way harder those first couple jobs where you started at uh, new line and a couple other ones could you talk about those jobs and and, and then just kind of what kind of stuff you were doing as kind of that introductory level or even what kind of stuff you were seeing that was helping you make the decision, okay, I might want to work in the art department on a production. Right. Well, I mean, so I, I, you know, I think working as, you know, I was a receptionist at three arts at new line. I was in like the publicity and promotions department, which kind of shed a new light on how to promote a movie. And it was like the first time I had ever like been a part of a junket, but, but mostly you're just doing assistant work and it's, not glamorous and sometimes your bosses are mean but what you do learn is is the language you know what rolling calls means and you know to leave word and all these like annoying buzzwords that people in in the industry use and you just learn a protocol and you know I I remember I had to like collate a script for Keanu Reeves once and I got like bitched out because they found out that like a couple pages were missing and so you're like okay you have to be thorough and you know so it's just it's really just like your your intro to the army really and like only the strong survive and you have to learn how to play the game because if if you don't play the game someone else is going to and I think that's like a huge lesson even with dealing with PAs now and sometimes people feel entitled and I feel like I did when I was in my early twenties, but you just, you have to play the game because no one's going to stand for you if you don't. And you have to be gracious and, and all those things. So that was, that was the big lesson there. And then the way I got into the art department was basically because a designer that I had worked with on something else was looking for an art department coordinator. And she was asked me if I knew anyone. And I was like, well, I'll do it. You know, I didn't know what it was, but I didn't have a job at the time. So I figured how hard could it be? 
And so she, I ended up being able to get into the union because um, the producer wrote a letter to the union and said, this is the person we want to hire. And so that was, that was again, it was really nice that I was able to get into 829 that easily. Um, and then I've just been doing it for, you know, a, a really long time. And it's just been a good kind of plan B, you know, where I, I, I leave and I produce a movie or I leave and I direct a movie. And it's always, you know, we get health care from it. And, you know, again, like I have to raise a family. So it's 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 always kind of been there for me when I needed it but it wasn't that but I also know that I'm visual and I and I I like that aspect of it there's a there's a lot and it's also in a lot of ways it's much more like humane than like regular production so I think that was appealing to me you know and I think I just I I, at this point I started to know that I wanted to write and direct and so and you know the art department has helped me in many ways it helped me get my movie made so in that way, it's, it's been good. But, you know, I, I never wanted to be an art director because my brain just doesn't work that way. But designing is cool. I, I've designed a couple short form stuff. Um, but, you know, I think for me, the focus has always been the writing and the directing. So then how many years were you doing the art direction stuff and then the film started to come? So then when did the transition to going, OK, we got to make movies now? I'm also curious, and this is just pure like relationship psychology, um, you know, because I just like to know when when people meet their significant others. I, I think it's interesting, you know, <laughs> you know, just because I was engaged when I made my first feature. I'm oh, not. Really? I, I'm not engaged now. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, she found someone she really loves, and and they have a beautiful child right now, and like we totally went to film school together. And it was one of of those things where our relationship probably interceded when their relationship probably should have, you know, been the real one to uh, start. But then whenever she like she like went back to Ohio, then she kind of rekindled a flame with him. And it was just beautiful, you know, and so you're still friends with her. Yeah, well, you know, films films are interesting. I'm still trying to pay her back from the first feature film. And so, like, I'm right, basically right, working right. and just paying off my, like, debt to her. Yeah, you know, and yeah. then, I mean, you know, because I think that that's what we owe each other. And in a way, right. that story of going into debt with people to make a first feature film and then trying to get the money back, that kind of became the impetus for the spiritual stoner comedy, which was... Oh, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, so I guess that's why I'm interested in it because... You know, I think people need to realize you don't have to burn the bridges. It's a very, very hard road. And if you can prove your integrity, then I think over time that will actually benefit you uh, with with friends and collaborators. And then when people ask about you, they'll say, yeah, he did owe me money, but he spent five to seven years paying me back. Right. And and so, like, that's a different level, you know, of like integrity and then. Yeah, because everybody in the film business owes somebody something, which is the funny Definitely. part, you know. And yeah. then, yeah. So, I mean, I can't say that working with Russell is easy. I mean, I, you know, you you, you paint a lovely picture, but I, I can't honestly say that that's the truth. You know, <laughs> um, it's tough. It's very very tough. I mean, the first movie, you know, the tested that we made together, that was the hardest experience of my life, I and mean, it was it was less about our relationship and more about it. it was just the first movie I ever produced but I you know I lost 20 pounds I was chain smoking it was awful you know um and that was actually like we joke about it that we we didn't have time to fight because we were just so entrenched in this movie but so that was kind of our first experience working together 
Um, and he he edited my feature, uh, the one that just came out. And that was really tough, too. And, and it was interesting because we brought on, uh, like, a consulting editor at the end just to kind of, you know, come on with different eyes. And working with him was a very different experience than working with Russell. And not, not that one was better or not, but I realized the difference. And I realized when you work with a spouse, there's a lot of, and, and I don't even know if it's a spouse or it's the kind of editor that Russell is, but Russell's very much a creative editor and he has opinions. And, you know, we all know a movie can be like made or broken in the edit room. And so he has a lot of opinions, whereas, you know, there would be a lot of pushback. And I think maybe because he was my husband, I, I, I would get more emotional about the pushback, but we had a lot of conversations and sometimes they were heated, but I think ultimately it paid off, but it, it certainly wasn't easy. You know, it certainly wasn't like easy street. Um, then the other editor was more of like, you know, you're the director, tell me what you think and we'll try this and we'll try that. And so I think from working with Russell, I started to realize like, Oh, he's kind of teaching me what it means to edit and how important it is. And I brought that on to the next experience. And I, I knew a lot more about editing than I thought that I did. And you start to have an eye for something and what's going to work and, and a rhythm. And I do think the rhythm actually comes from my dance experience that I can, I, the, the rhythm of, of like a scene is there. And I actually think that's sort of like a cool full circle, but uh, no, it's not necessarily like that easy working with someone that you're married to. But I think if you respect their, creativity and their you know their taste and whatever then it works and then your project's better off for it you know that's real and i think people need <laughs> to hear that just straight up i mean like you yeah. need to, everybody needs to know that um because yeah a lot of my collaborators they're like lifelong collaborators and so some sometimes we can go a little uh too hard in the paint and then we have to come back and like reset and then yeah. and then just go hey guys you know, just put it in a realistic position. Uh, and then the process itself is emotional and it is right. like over time and it's these highs and these lows. So I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> you know, you got to paint a realistic picture. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. real. Uh, and now let's talk about your wonderful first feature as a writer director and you had a wonderful theatrical release. I saw some of the press junket stuff. You looked very, very tired. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Um, it's a nice thing to say to a lady. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, not in a bad way. Just you no, could tell. Kidding. I was I'm telling kidding. you were getting it done. I was so proud. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, just proud, you know, because I think filmmakers need to support filmmakers. And totally. I think if we can start there, then this change can ripple. You right. Know? So talk about that. Uh you know, the story is about a family dealing with some divorce and separation issues. So I'll yeah. I'll let you take it from here. No, it's about a teenage boy who becomes infatuated with a woman he sees on the bus. And that kind of complicates his already tumultuous family life because his parents are also sort of going through um, something and they're trying to figure it out. And so there's kind of just a lot of upheaval everywhere. So... Why did you want to tell this story? And then can you tell me a little bit about bringing together such a wonderful cast? Uh, I think, you know, my my son is always like, do you need that or do you want that? You know, and so I feel like I needed to tell this story because it was something that was just kind of in me for a while. And, um, you know, a lot of it's personal in a lot of different ways. And I think each character is kind of like a splinter 
of me. And I think that that was an interesting thing for me to just kind of see it all come together. And, you know, we, we, we went through the regular channels. I mean, I wish I could say that I grew up with Molly Ringwald, but I, you know, I, I maybe I did in a figurative sense, but you know, I, I didn't know any of them going into it. And, you know, we just started sending out the script and, you know, people for whatever reason really responded to it. And I think it was just like a snowball effect and Molly and Brian really wanted to work together. And so that was like a cool thing. And, and Brendan had just sent, he had put himself on tape and I just thought he was really magical. And Harley Quinn actually knew, um, her manager or something knew my producer and, and she got her hands on the script and she was like really gunning for the role and you know, sent in a tape, which was like incredible. And then I was, when I was looking for the Odessa character, which is the woman on the bus, um, Molly was doing a play with a woman named Hannah Dunn, who was really good friends with Lola Kirk. And so Molly was like, Oh, what about Lola Kirk? And I was like, well, I think Lola's too young, but Jemima would be really great. And uh, my casting director's like, you'll never get her, you'll never get her, and, you know, she's at CIA, we'll probably never hear back, we don't want to waste your time, and and then we, we went out to Jemima, and, and for whatever reason, the, the, the script just really connected with her, and, and she signed on, and, and, you know, Sam McCarthy, who's actually Andrew McCarthy's son, so that's like a weird Molly and you know, Andrew McCarthy connection, he auditioned and he blew us away. And, you know, so it just, we just got really, really lucky with this cast. And then, <laughs> and then what happened? Um, and then, I mean, you know, from the first time, from like the, you know, the moment we, I talked on the phone to the producers, I think almost a year later to the day we were shooting, which is really fast. Um, and it was incredible. And, you know, you, you, then you're in the edit and you're insecure and you, you know, you don't know what you have. And then you submit to film festivals. And then, you know, we ended up getting into Tribeca, which was incredible. And I think it was like absolutely the right festival for this movie in, in so many ways. And, you know, it, it just seemed to land really well with the audiences and people connected to it. And, you know, it's, I mean, you know, it's been, it's been a wonderful experience, but, you know, uh, you know, no one is ever satisfied. And as an artist, you're always like, well, what if I had done it this way? And what if I had changed this? And so, I mean, I think that's the hard part because everyone's always like, dude, you made a movie. Like, it's so cool. You did it. You should be so proud of yourself. But it's like, life doesn't really like work that way. You know, you can't just sort of like nestle in this like self congratulation mode. You know, you're always kind of looking for the next thing and, and, you know, seeing other people that you think have gotten farther than you I mean it's you know it's 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 very hard to be proud of yourself I guess is what I'm saying you know yeah Yeah. I know it's and then I started I signed up for a tai chi class (laughs) (laughs) because I needed to give myself some uh self self love and like self self care as a creator but also I'm I'm proud of you I'm Uh extremely proud of you and like just everything as a filmmaker as a creator as a fellow human on this thing called earth yeah um and so how was navigating distribution because i think out of all the podcasts we've done so far uh you're one of the filmmakers that has navigated the modern distribution system and i think yeah it's interesting i you know and 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 it's like i i don't was that the best way to distribute the movie not sure you know 
you know, it was we. I, I, I was really happy with Orion Classics, and and they did. They totally did right by us. I mean, it's a real small movie, so the fact that we had a theatrical release was amazing. Um, but you know, I think they knew that it, it's really just kind of like like advertising for it being on VOD type of thing. Um, and we were also really lucky too, because our actors love the movie. So they really wanted to do press. And so we definitely didn't have a huge P and a budget at all, but because the actors really wanted to do it and because people were interested in them, I think the press that we got really outweighed the kind of the campaign that we were supposed to do. If that makes sense. Like it, you know, they weren't putting a huge, you know, budget behind this. Um, they loved the movie, but that, that's just not how their model was. But because we had the actors that we had and there was interest in the world, we ended up getting so much more press than I ever thought that we would. And that was really great. But, you know, do, do I think this was the right way to distribute this film? I mean, I don't know. I, if Had I done it myself, would it have been different? Not sure. But I think you know, there's a part of me that, like, I'm probably more of a traditionalist. I'm probably not that sort of, like, DIY distributor type. It's just not really me. But I think the people who do it do an amazing job. And I think there's a lot of articles that, that show that it's almost the right, it's the better way to do it, you know. But, yeah, I mean, we definitely want the traditional route. And I think that that's probably right for me. I think it's fantastic. I <laughs> I mean, I think all filmmakers, we have this, you know, it's just so impossible to write the movie, then it's so impossible to make the movie, and then you have to go, I have to d distribute the movie regardless yeah. of the percentages no, coming back. Totally, totally. You know, totally. and then I think everybody's faced with that reality, and then the filmmaker's faced with the entrepreneur reality, which is, right. guess what, man, most of these entrepreneurs out here have investors that are with them for three to five years, and 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 the good entrepreneurs have investors that are with them for seven years because they understand this is about the long term and right. and for this to pop it's going to take five to ten years yeah and whereas yeah, filmmakers no, we're like racing you know and then yeah. we're like let me just make the movie and you know then you look up and it's like three to four years later and then you're like wait a minute it's not just about one movie but it's about the slate of movies i have to create uh, yeah. for the breadth of what will be known as the career and, like, the body of work. And so I think it is a really hard place to be. Um, and then, you know, let me know if we can answer these questions or not. I'm just trying to get them, you know, people to start to understand the vocabulary as well as the, the uh, reality that comes with that. And right. so was there a minimum guarantee? like N N M G and then was it a license for three to five years or is it something where it was kind of like an all rights deal where I where... mean you know again this is it's interesting because I you know was just the writer and director which I you know kind of say tongue-in-cheek but I you know I wasn't really an active producer and so I, I was on I mean I, I you know I I know just because it's my film and I was in on the conversations but you know I, I don't know in terms of like you know why we did what we did or whatever, but yeah, there was an MG and I, I mean, I, I, I think it's all right. So I don't think like the rights turn around in a couple of years. I mean, I think they are the distributors, you know, they're the domestic distributors. Okay. So, yeah. So for everybody listening an MG is really awesome because it means that your partner, uh, wants to give you a certain percentage up front of what they think the film will make or their buying price. 
And then, right. and then traditionally, is the MG around 10%? Or, like, what is the traditional, you know, if if a film's bought for however many millions, then the MG that the filmmaker will get or see, um, or the producers, is a percentage of that. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I, I think it varies, you know, and I also think it's a reflection of, of the market. I think that kind of ebbs and flows as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, we are getting to the half hour point, and I know yeah. we were keeping uh, everybody's episodes limited. I have limited. bagels sitting on my kitchen table. I need to go eat them. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. Next time you you want to be on the American Filmmaker podcast, you are always welcome. And yeah, so, this was awesome, Josh. It was so great um, for you to think of us, and everyone should go see all these small moments. You can see it on Amazon or iTunes. And uh, I think that you're going to be talking to the editor of the film and my husband, Russell Costanzo. So that should be fun, too. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Filmmaker. The music used in this episode is from my second feature film as writer-director, My Friend's Rubber Ducky and was created by Michael Deller of the Budos Band and Charles Bradley and his extraordinaires. Thank you, Mike, for all the wonderful music that you make.